will stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they, have a when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you, and you are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you, and you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. Well, um, for this session, which is a one-hour session, we, we, we will not even need an hour because I will just share a few thoughts with you here on... What am I speaking of? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what am I speaking of? Uh, raising leaders. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> raising, raising leaders. And... Um, uh, uh, really, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking it uh, irresponsibly, but I, I, I just felt, when I was told about the varied nature of the uh, constitution of the people, I, in the end I felt that maybe a time of question and answer might be more helpful uh, in this regard. So I will kick off by sharing a few things um, about leadership and raising leaders, and then, and then feel free to ask the questions. Now, between you and me, if you have no questions, I let you go for lunch early. I won't tell, you won't tell. <laughs> and we're done here, okay? But if you're going to be unkind and start asking questions, then I will preach for two hours nonstop. <laughs> Father, I do pray that you will open our hearts, that we learn something, and even the things we once knew, to learn again, to live according to them, that they might bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think when I was thinking about this, raising leaders and what we do, uh, very often when I think about it, I think, why do we do what we do? And I, th I think about that a lot back home. Everything that we do, I think a lot, why do we do that? If I can't come up with a good enough reason, it's probably time to change it or kill it. And, um, and thinking about raising leaders and how we do that, I was thinking, why do we even bother doing it? And the reason we do it is because, in the end, it, takes, it does take a team, of, a team that is on mission together to get the work accomplished. It does take a team. And so I'm going to spend a few moments just talking about what I mean by team, and then take it from there. It does take a team because when God wants to get something done, he calls a man, and he then calls that man to call other people around him to help him get the thing done, where he won't be able to do it by himself. Um, I think that there is something of a concept of team that once is in, in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I think of Moses and Joshua um, uh, and the, the way that that relationship worked, you see that there wasn't just Moses. In fact, there was Moses and Aaron, and then you see Moses and Joshua as well. And... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, uh, and this, you know, so you see that idea that when it comes to Nehemiah, when God called Nehemiah, he went back home, and when he began to do the work, he actually <clears throat> got all the people involved. You look at Nehemiah chapter 3, you see that he got different people building different sheep gates, and he put them by family by family, from the perfumers to the businessmen, he got everybody involved. <clears throat> Except it says there, the Tekoites, verse 5 there, he says, they refuse. They would not stoop down to do the work of the Lord. And so there are always those who don't feel to get right in there in the work of God. But in the point I'm trying to make is that God, that the idea of God calling one man and then he then has other people around that help do the work is, is, is really biblically rooted. And when Jesus called 12 disciples, it wasn't 
necessarily because he needed them, for he doesn't need anything, but he chose them to bring them in, to participate in everything that he's going to do, so that they can go on to take it on. So he did call 12 people to come to himself. He deposited himself into those 12 people, and then he sent them out. Um, he sent them out, you know, the story, and then, you know, and, and empowered them. So they spent time with him, he empowered them, sent them out. And then, of course, you see things like Paul and Timothy, uh, where he says, go back and read the number of times Paul says, Timothy, my child, Timothy, my child, Timothy, my child. So there was a relationship there, and yet they were co-workers together in the, in the, in the work of God. Um, and so, and then you've got Timothy, Paul and Titus as well. Uh, if I had time, I would have shown you a, a, a chart that I don't know where I found. I think it might be one of uh, Maxwell's books. You know, he has this chart where he wrote all the different departments that were necessary to be attended to in Israel. And they're just like something like maybe 100 different departments that if you have 2 million people you're leading somewhere, all these departments are going to have to be attended to, from agriculture to, uh, uh, to uh, you know, just uh, health and sanitary and kitchen and all of them. And then he wrote the names of each person that was looking after that department, up to 100 departments, and at the very top he wrote Moses. And then the next layer he wrote Moses, 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 Moses. Next layer, Moses, 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 Moses. So Moses, he says, is responsible for all this stuff. And the point really I think was trying to make there is that one person just can't do the whole thing. Although, this is important, although every time in the name of discipling, I'll say this later, we skew it so that everything is just so, everybody's just equal. Well, we, of course we're all equal, but there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, Galatians 3 tells us that. But when it comes to leadership, the core people there, Yes, they're one and they're in working units, but there's still one that God called particularly and deliberately for this work. And so that person must never forget that so that that leadership, uh, whoever put this here, thank you so much, but a pen is sorely needed <laughs> for this to function well. Um, there still is that, if you like, first amongst equals in that sense. And I think that that must not, every time that that is forfeited, uh, a lot of other stuff gets forfeited. There's an order that God puts in place, and He, order, he honors the order. So when we come here now to Exodus um, 18, what we see here is Moses doing his job dutifully, and uh, he will wake up in the morning and sit down to judge Israel. You know the story well. And he sits down to judge Israel, and it's, you know, what, two million plus people? He sits down there and he's like, next. And the next person comes. Two million people. They're on a queue. I mean, how long must that queue be? And there he's sitting down next and he listens to what happened. He said, she said, you know, it was mine, it wasn't mine, thanks. Uh, and so on. And in the end, he, he does it. Next. How many people, how long is this thing going to take? And he continues to do it that way. Following day, it's like that again. And his father-in-law sees him. Everyone says to him, what is this thing you're doing? And some of the things that he said, line by line, that are really very, very helpful. Because he says to him, listen, this thing that you're doing is not good. That's what he said, verse 17. So the idea of just one person doing it all is not really good. It's not God's intention. Uh, he says to him, the thing that you're doing is not good. He says to him, number, the next thing he says to him is that you will wear yourself out. Next thing, you will wear the people out. That's the bit that I never used to, I didn't, it took me a long time to see that in the text. You wear yourself out, you wear the people out. Because they keep waiting for you and nothing is happening and the heart begins to turn because they feel like we're in this thing together, we're supposed to be going somewhere, but nothing is being devolved out to people so that they too can play a part uh, in this thing that God wants to do. And if you're just holding it all to yourself and it gridlocks at that level of leadership, a problem happens. You wear yourself out, you're tired, but you wear the people out. They feel like we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Why are we waiting? Kind of a song. And they, they may not sing it like that on a Sunday morning, but they are feeling it. They're feeling it. And then it says to him also, for the thing is too heavy for you. The thing is too heavy for you. Um, I think it's Gordon MacDonald who talks about teams 
and he, he, he talked a bit about teams in a very helpful way. And I've kind of put them into three categories that you may find helpful. Oh, you don't have a PowerPoint. Oh, I apologize. Um, but the first set of teams, the first category are, you know, if you like, dynamic teams. These are teams that everything just seems to be working well. They are prosperous in what they do. It's going somewhere. There is momentum. Everything is advancing. They have a vision, and they know what the vision is. Everybody gets it in that team. And because they know the vision, and they feel called to it, there is a passion that attends it, and each member is actually growing, not just to come and do the work. This is so important for me, that people around us back at Jubilee are not just coming to do the work. This is what I do here. No, I want them to be being trained so that they are, their own lives is getting so much better at a personal level because of the training they're getting in church, because of the discipling they're getting in church. And when it's like that, I'm telling you, they give themselves to the work. So in dynamic teams, they, are, they, are, they know what the vision is, they are prosperous, they have passion, they are supporting each other. They are supporting each other, each other there. And whenever, should they ever have conflicts, they have a wise way of bringing resolution to the conflict. That means that they actually, they, the conflict becomes constructive. They actually went to a higher and better level. But there are other teams that I'm calling dead teams. Dead teams are teams that, it used to be alive, very alive, but it's just, it's just, or maybe dying teams. It's just, it's coming down. Nothing here is moving. And it, here, it's kind of lost its purpose. It's lost vision. It's been dulled out. They're holding still to the prophetic word that was spoken, but it was spoken so many years ago, and there's nothing fresh and vibrant that is keeping this thing awake and the shoulders are slightly beginning to slump over time. And uh, this really does describe uh, sometimes uh, many, many churches. The passion begins to be very waned. There is no excitement. And uh, the result, when it comes, the result is, can be very, very small. In the dynamic teams, the results can be very huge sometimes. But in these uh, dead ones, the results are very small. The people feel drained, out, drained. And when there is conflict... They tend to conflict over trivial matters. The enemy is so nastily subtle that it's not massive things that necessarily cause the havoc in churches. It's the small things that people just want to leave it alone and let it go. And so, and so in those kinds of teams, that happens there. But then the third category is destructive teams. With destructive teams, they don't have a common vision. In fact, everybody in it has his own vision. And when they come to their meetings, they have their own visions, their own agendas. It's all at a personal level. They may pretend it's about the common good. It never really is. And so when they're talking, everybody's second-guessing. What does it really mean behind that? And what's really going on? All this kind of stuff. That's what happens in destructive teams. They're all thinking, what is in it for me? The morale is always low here. And the tendency to have a territorial kind of spirit, where this is my department, please don't come to my department again, kind of thing, you know. Uh, the worship is my department. I don't like it when you do that. You didn't consult me. I, you know, I was working with the church not so long ago, and somebody said that kind of thing. I, I, I was rather hoping this kind of thing had gone. There was somebody still thinking, it's my department, my department. You know, I'm not saying you can't say anything, but consult me first. Who gave you a department? It's a long story. You know, um, and such destructive teams, they are a danger to new Christians. They're a danger to even old Christians because they become so toxic. And whenever they conflict, the conflicts are destructive. And so for one to have good teams, you have to do what he says. Labor advises him and counsels him. And uh, which is, uh, I thought of it this morning. This is interesting. That Moses comes to say, I'm judging the people. God, the people want to hear from God. So they come to inquire of me. I kind of inquire from God. Okay, so you're hearing from God. Do you think maybe God could tell you there's a better way of doing this thing, Moses? And the point really is this, is that uh, wisdom, you can learn from many different places. In fact, the book of wisdom is collected by wisdom from different places that God uh, validates. We, could, we, we must keep learning different things from different places. Laban comes to him, and Laban say, says to him, look, this is what you need to do. Find men who 
have good character. He says this, find men who fear God. Find men who fear God, who have good character, verse 21. Find men who are loyal is also what he's kind of talking about in that regard. He said, also find men who are able. So ability does come into it as you're finding the right different people. He says, also find men who have different capacities. Make them leader of a thousand, of a hundred, of a fifties, and even of ten. And he said, then let them judge amongst the people. Let them, let them judge the people. And so that the work, the work gets devolved right down. And uh, to just add even to that, you go to Acts chapter 6, where it talks about a good reputation. You know, what kind of men do we want? Men with good reputation, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. Now, one last thing he says to him, and then the big matters, let it come to you. The small matters, let them deal with it. So that there's a sense of boundaries that is being set as people are being taught the way forward. Now, all of that I said, uh, all of that I have said to say to you that when we, oh no, this is not good. I wrote some thoughts on the, on the way, oh, there it is. So, all the answers are here. <laughs> it's all here. So, all of that, the importance of having people who are alive in God, functioning teams right across the life of the church. For us to get that, we have to raise leaders. So I just told you the why we raise leaders. Now let me tell you how we do it, and then you get to ask very, very, very simple questions. Well, for us at Jubilee, the way this is done, I'll say that we... We first of all gather, oh, Terry, you can't see. No, 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 please sit there. I was going to move it away from you. I didn't want you to see. <laughs> I don't want you to see it. Um, we, what we do, so this is how we do it. Number one, so how do you raise leaders? We gather everybody. There's a, there's a, there's a philosophy and ministry behind that. I just believe that there is leadership in everybody. It will be varying degrees, but there really is. Men, women, everybody. If you come to Jubilee Church, there are teenagers that get to do sizable things in the, in the life of the Everybody has something in him that if someone can just mine it and tap it out, you'd be amazed what is in there. So we gather everyone. We gather everyone. I really should have done a PowerPoint for you because the spellings here are going to be really atrocious. That's why I write them very illegibly. <laughs> <laughs> we gather everyone. When I say we gather everyone, we do men's, me men's meetings, women's meetings. We do uh, something we call the Believer's Discipleship Course. And then we do what we call the leadership course. How we raise leaders? Number one, we gather everyone. Because we think amongst them there is, oh, there's a leader. There's a sizable leader. There's a mid-term uh, leader. There's a, there's a, so you gather them in different ways. And that, what that does is, see, I attend lots of these things. What that does is, apart from the women's one, what that does is, you get to know the people. Because you're looking for the level of leadership that is in them and the level of giftedness. You will never know it unless you gather them into small sizes. So that this thing we do, yes, it's got, it's got dual role. We do want to train men and we do want our women to be disciples. We do want, all of this is discipleship I'm talking to you about. But it's also got another hidden reason behind it. Gather them, and I, I'll tell you if I spend enough time with them, I can tell you what I feel that guy can do, what I feel this person can do. I go amongst them. I get to know their names. So no matter what size the church is, you have to break that thing down into bite-sized versions where you pastor them into that, in that bite-sized level. So I know lots of you know, I know men, and then they have the women's. The Believer's Discipleship Call, this is open to everybody. So Sunday morning, sometime with that, we'll have a men's meeting. Men go... Uh, women's meeting on Sunday, whatever, Saturday, whatever, fine. Then, oh, we're starting the Believer's Discipleship course. 
I mean, it's like, it's like basic Christianity we're doing here. But it's on purpose. One, we, want, we don't want to overassume because in the life of the church, you're teaching at this level. New people are coming through, giving their lives to Christ. You need to teach them this basic thing. But we're also getting to know them. And then we also do a leadership course. You have to have done the Believer's Discipleship course before you do a leadership course. Leadership course now, we have just a small number. Now we're really going to get to know. Not just that, they're going to be exposed to all the leaders. One of, the, one of our elders runs it. Um, there's one of the, one or maybe two of the talks. I'm going to, it's a 10-week long course. I come in there to teach a little bit. I am knowing these people, not just by name, but we're figuring out where they are, what they have, and so on. We're beginning to raise leaders. They, they don't even realize they're being raised. They don't even realize that. This, but that's what we're beginning to do. Then the next thing we do is we have, we gather all, this is all, now we gather some. Two of our elders, we have four elders in Jubilee, two of our elders, one is Dave and one is Chris, gather 12 men each. They will meet you 12 men each once a month. And this has been going for a while now. They gather 12 men each at different times, and they are pouring themselves into those, those guys. Nobody in Jubilee Church even knows hardly that this is happening, except for the elders and the 12 men we've spoken to. How did we get those 12 men? We selected them. We selected them carefully. Having seen them, seen how they are in the life of the church, they've done these courses, we get it where this guy is at. This guy will do well in this. So we select them carefully, and they come in here. And, 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 and we teach them the things that we feel the need to know. Then out of that, we then, we then have a really fewer number. Well, we have the elders, but we have a couple of people that we will draw in to meet with the elders regularly. This is not strange. You all do this already. And so they will, right now we have two other people that meet with us, with us as elders, and they get exposed to varying levels of things that happen in the life of the church. They are really being prepared. With the women, this happens. My, my wife leads our women's ministry thing. She gathers two sets of people, two sets of women she does by herself. One set, younger women. Another set, older women. And people don't even know that this is going on in the life of the church on purpose. Because the minute they know, they're like, oh, I want to join the group. I want to. You know, there's a time that you get to self-select. There's a time that we select. Because we're raising you. Uh, we're raising people in a very deliberate way. So that's roughly how we begin. Now, let me talk a little bit more about the content and what exactly we'll, we do. When it comes to the content, the first thing we do is we, talk up, we teach them the gospel all over again. The different aspects of the gospel. And the, because people really have to get that down. Or else somebody goes and do something way later, just off tangent. Not helpful, not right. They never really got it. So we start from there and we teach them that. Then, it says, uh, what is it, in the book of Timothy, chapter 4, verse 16. I think in 1 Timothy 4, 16, where it says, Watch your life and doctrine. Okay? Persist in it. If you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Then we begin to teach them things that have to do with doctrine, the Bible, but also how that thing is applied to life, where you break it down even further into things that they need to know. For example, we would go very big on character issues. Very, we would, we would teach you the character issues quite, quite a bit. Uh, integrity and strength and all these kinds of things that has to do with with character. We will talk, if ever you've read Heibel's book, I think it talks about character, chemistry, competence. We basically help on all these th things. When I th talk about character, I'm talking about integrity. I'm talking about discipline in life. I'm talking about all these kinds of things. We walk them through those things over time. And because it's just a few, I'm talking about 15 here now, because it's just a few guys, you are mixing your life with theirs and you're raising leaders. Raising leaders is not just about lectures. It is about, there's a big guy, you know, please hear this in the right way. 
who is a teacher guy who has a pupil. Okay, I see discipleship done sometimes. It's not that everybody, it's all about let's go for a cup of tea. It's all about let's just go down to the pub. Well, of course there's room for that. But if that's all you're doing, and, it's all, and they get it like that, they lose the sense and the idea and the concept of how authority works. There, there needs to be somebody who is in charge who is saying, I am Paul, you're Timothy, my child. Let me help, let me show you how to do this thing. And that Timothy needs to be ready to receive it in that kind of way. Where that thing is just horizontal and not a healthy vertical, it doesn't work. You're going to do what you do for a very long time and you don't really advance. So uh, this is important because here in the West, people just wanted everybody's the same. High five, high five. Well, we are the same, but you still need to be taught. And how you receive what you're being taught really depends on how you understand authority working. Now, you probably, I hope you don't, I don't want you to go home thinking, whoa, when you go to Jubilee Church, he's the big fish guy and everybody is subservient. It's never, it's not like that. Not like that at all. I am amongst the people, playing with the people, love the people, so are all the elders, because you cannot understand the grace of God apart from it's working out that way. Nonetheless, there is leadership and there is followership. And where that thing doesn't connect, it doesn't work. You just play a whole bunch of games and drink beer. So, we do that. There's a character and then there's the chemistry. We want the friendships to develop. Well, I, I was meeting, for example, I just started a new group. Uh, in fact, most people don't even, you know, I was in the church a few uh, weeks, uh, a few months ago. And one of the guys, younger, he does PA system, setting up for us, you know. And this guy is so unbelievably diligent. And he came to me and listened to the question. He said, you know, um, um, you know uh, I was just wondering, you know, I was, um, you know, I, I just don't know much about, I want to do things right, he says. In which area of life are we talking about? He says, just, you know, I'm single. I want to do things right. I'm beginning to think that, you know, I do need to get married at some point. So he's thinking about the whole girl, boy thing. This is a grown-up guy. He's like 28 years old. But he wants to do it right. He says, because I've done it wrong before. But is, there, is there any forum that I can go to? The... And he had under two guys around there with him. And they were like, yeah, I'd really like to just, you know, do you have maybe an hour sometime? And uh, Okay. This is how we said, they're ready. Those kinds of guys are ready to be taught. I don't waste my time with people who are not ready. They're not bad, they're not evil, but I don't waste my time there. I look for people who are ready. I'm like, I went right back to my, my helper there, assistant. Let's find Six Sunday evenings. Just figure it out. We're going to do this. I call those three. There are a few others that I saw. I have six guys in the room. Started it the other day. I sit down there, there. I'm going to walk them through the scriptures, walk them through things of life. And I'm going to open my life much more than I would on a Sunday morning, than I would in some other circle. I'm going to really open it up. I will talk about my weaknesses and so on. In a sensible, helpful, healthy way, that they get it, okay? I, I don't believe in, the, in the, uh, you know, the leader guy who thinks he scores points by saying, I'm so sinful, I'm so sinful, I'm bad. I'm, that's just, oh, you know, who wants to, why would I follow you then if, you do, if you're not learning this thing? So I, I, I bring them together. This is just a couple of weeks ago. We did the first one with a whole new team with everything pragmatically is saying, you don't have time for this, except it's about people it's about God and people, isn't it? So I spend my time with them. And because I open up my life, they begin to open. And you needed to see healthy things that come out. And I just know this is how healing happens. This is how maturity is going to happen for these men. No doubt about it in my mind. No doubt about it. They're going to grow. This is how we raise leaders. So they become my friends. They come into my inner circle. I don't give my mobile phone out to just people around because everybody starts calling you. You don't know what you're doing. These kinds of guys, they come through. They total access. They just total access. They're going to be my best friends. 
So on a, and, and you know what? On a Sunday morning, they, they don't see me and run up. Say, oh, can we have... No, no, no. That, how are you doing? They get it. It's just a hi there, hi there. But there's a deeper relationship happening, even though we just have those little highs. Now, I have these kinds of guys dotted around the life of the church. And we keep looking for them, harvesting them in. Harvesting them. And most people don't even know this is going on. But it is. So that a church is multi-layered in how it's discipling people right through. The chief way I disciple is Sunday morning when I preach. And then you devolve the whole things down. This is how we attribute race leaders. Chemist, character, chemistry, and then competence. People must be competent and we help them in that regard in every area of life. Not just what they do in church, how to do, how to do the you know, PA. No, no. Way beyond. Frankly, I'm not even thinking primarily church when I'm trying to raise them. I'm thinking in their own lives. Because when they give themselves totally to God, they will find their place in the life of the church. And Listen to me. This morning, I knew I'm preaching here. I, had to get, I got up, did my little bits I had to do. I went into Jubilee Church, the premises this morning. They had to drag out all, they had to set everything up this morning because there was a test we needed to do. I went there. He is not here right now. Ben, who is in this conference, he had to get up early, having worked real late last night, get up early. They drag everything out. They switch everything on before the cinema starts just so we can assess one or two little bits of something that we're doing. So I've been there this morning. We made a decision. We had a quick meeting, and then we drove here to come under the conference. Why do these people give their life to this thing? They know that you are about them, not just about go do the work. You, you care about them, and you're teaching them the things of God, and it's showing in their lives. And when, they are, when, they, when they see that, they will give themselves to the work. You don't have to pound the church. Give. Give money, please. No, 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 no. We just, we just, you know, very often we'll be like, we need someone to help us do such and such. And sometimes you don't get the number of, we, we rarely do that in Jubilee Church, actually, to say, we need someone to help us. We just don't do that. You know what? We find the person. We sit down, we look around, we know who can do it. We invite them, we talk to them one-to-one, explain it to them, give them the level of authority and power, show them where the boundary lines are, go. When I finish from here today, I got a meeting, six o'clock, we're talking about the new parenting course. I'm gonna, those people are gonna lead it, not me. You give them your life to them, you help them, they have total access and they grow. Men and women, this is how we lead and raise leaders in Tribulate Church. Okay, thanks for coming. May the Lord bless you. (laughs) So, you can ask questions, or we can keep this nice. So, any questions? Oh, yes. No, that's fine. No, I was just joking. Please ask your, please ask your, ask your questions. Uh, I'd like to go back to the passage that you read in the beginning about Moses. Yeah. yeah. If you have a leader and you see that they are overloaded, yeah. and they find it hard to delegate, yeah. how can you encourage them to do that? Give them this CD. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it's a... It's a big problem sometimes because I think leaders sometimes have to come to the place that they realize. Uh, Because they've heard it before, and they've heard it before. But I think sometimes they don't really hear it until a certain type of person is talking to them or until they see the harm it's doing. And so you can pray for them that God bring to them somebody who they really respect and regard and helps them see it, the negative side of what they're doing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like that, you know, from the, really. I, I mean, we all talk like that, but really, lots of leaders give themselves to the work and they're at it. Vroom, they're going, going, going. But one day I really, I really realized that 
I'm walking close to the edge, and you can't handle one more pastoral issue. You just tip over. And it could be something small, like such and such say they're moving on from the church. If you're walking on the edge, you tip over, and that could take you three months to recover. So in the name of we must get at it, we can't lose momentum and all this fancy stuff, you're about to lose momentum, and it's your fault. So I need to play this thing way here. Now, when a church is being planted, though, life is so hard. You're doing so much yourself. There's a season where your plane is so close. But, you know, you just pray that the Lord add people to help you move away. So these days, I don't play that thing right here. I move away a little bit. And I keep an eye on it, and I watch. My wife helps me, and so on. But I, I, I'll tell you something else. I once saw a fantastic leader crash. And it scared, it just shook me a bit. I didn't quite know that that could happen like that. And so I tried to move backwards. Um, so delegation is, is, is a science and an art. But these days, I think I'm a better leader if I have delegated the right thing in the right way at the right time to the right person. Uh, and that takes a bit of time to do, but it can be done. So you need to prayerfully pray for them and let, pray that God send them somebody that they will listen to so they don't have to learn the lesson the hard way. Because some don't recover if they're learning the hard way. That's a good question. Any other question? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I totally, I understand exactly what you're saying. I think, I personally think, in the church, we don't train people well enough when we're trying to show them what to do. And so we tra- in the name of, you don't want to be too, heavy, too tight, you don't want to be too prescriptive, we tend to make, give them a lot of suggestions as opposed to sufficient direction. We, I am real big on explain what it is you want them to do to the nth degree, to the nth degree, so that they have a fighting chance of getting this thing right. So when they come into the room, we're going to tr- do training. My home was a training ground for years, the other parts of me leading. They would come, let's say, listen, I, I even train people how to do notices. I train them how to start the services. I train on everything. When they come, and the beginning of that training, would, would, on the first day, they don't come up to start practicing it. The first day where I'm developing friendship, I see that, yeah, this person can do such and such and such. Okay. Somewhere in that development, I make it clear to them, if this thing isn't going to work, I will notice early on, and we will pull it. Is that okay by you? If it's okay by them, it's okay, great. Now we know the worst that can happen is it didn't really work. We'll pull it. But you know it's not just you or we don't like you. Also. So they need to get that down clear. Then I'm going to train them. When I train them, I even tra- well, I feel you know a bit nervous sharing all this because somebody's going to think this is way over the top. But anyway, I train at every single point of it, you know, because I care about the whole thing they're going to do the service. I train them at every little minuscule point, and then I, I mean, when you see the training, you will think, my goodness gracious me, it's a bit rigorous. I know what I'm doing. You, you have to get 
the, the, the thing clear, the structure clear, everything clear with hard work, at, do it again. No, do it again. Stop. No, you got to do, do it again. Do it again. Do it. And the whole time, I'm not trying to rinse their personality out of them and inject mine. I see their personality and I weave, I help them. Finally, they get it. When they fully gotten it and they're like, then I give them a long chat on, I bet you you're going to make a mistake, but I want you to know I am bigger than you think when it comes to catching the mistake before it becomes a big problem. I can catch it. And I give them examples of when I mess things up and also examples of how I caught things when even super elders in Jubilee missed it. I, I, I let them be confident that you're not going to break anything here. And then I let them go. And they know if I get there, even if nobody likes me, Tufty will catch it. That's what they need to know. And I mean it. And no matter how bad they do, there's always something good for me to say well done about. And that's where I go first, well done. I will work at it the second time. And you train them. Now, why am I saying all that? It means that when I then release them to do things, it's easier for me because I know what I trained them. They also know how this thing works. And it starts a little kind of arthritic initially, but a time comes because they know it so well. They just, they're free. They fly. After a while, they can do the thing far better than I could because they learned it that way. Then they come into their own and then they're free. This is how, this is how we do it. So it's a good question, but, and that gives me time. What I just described is a few weeks of me handing over, handing over, handing over, seeing how it goes. And, and sometimes if it's not going to work, I can see this thing is not working here. And I'll explain to them, we'll draw to a conclusion, I'll find something else. Okay. Hope that was helpful. Yeah. Uh, when, when we have the 15, the, 15 guys, the 12 guys. Oh, yeah. You see those guys? Because I do have limited time. I said to them from the outset, we're going to do this for six weeks. They were expecting one hour of my time. I just dedicated six weeks. So these are not upset. They're not upset. We're going to do this six weeks. These are the ones that I can make. They get it. Now, at the end of it, they are going to be added to the, fifth, to the 12 guys. I'm going to share them out to the 12, and they're going to continue the discipleship thing with these guys. That's where this is going. But just as a, so you know, Dave brought his 12 guys here to this conference. Just said to them, you know what, I'd like a lot to go to the conference. And just so you know, at lunchtime, they're all going to go and do lunch together. The whole friendship side of it is there. But when something is stuck in church life and Dave picks up the phone call, you know he's thinking of one of them to help fix it. And they're good to go. So that's basically what we do. Yeah. I, I do wonder sometimes if there are lots of leaders who are number one leaders leading a church who could be outstanding, gifted, number two leaders somewhere. And they would actually help that work grow because they, they have come into their own. You see what I'm trying to say? Um, uh, they... they, they Number two. So I think we need that, that tier, but I also very much think we need the number one. I'm using this phraseology because it helps, but I really do think we also need the number one guys as well to really, really lead the work and sometimes, you know, take over from somebody who's led it for a while and let the Joshua's come through. I, I, I'll say this one thing. I'm a big believer in preaching. Because I am so confident that, and, and they 
and they who knew the Lord went around preaching with the Lord doing the signs and wonders behind them. Mark 16. I just believe that when the word is handled right and people, there are some of our good systems that even if we don't have it tightly in place, somehow the people are getting it. I really believe I'm discipling the church on Sunday morning in that moment and they're getting stuff. So I believe in number one leader guy and I believe in that second tier thing. For sure we couldn't do a lot of the things we do if, if Dave, if I didn't have Dave there, you know, I don't. Even as of now, I, I, I turn down most invitations because I just can't do it. But if we didn't have Dave, well, I don't go anywhere. I stay home. So I hope that helps. That's a good question. How do you differentiate between natural ability and anointing? You're right, because sometimes it could all be mixed together. Um, I think the first thing is I don't, I don't try to judge it too quickly. I try to let that thing play itself out over time. But someone said to me the other day, he said, there's so much grace on you, chump, for what you do. You know, first time I've been called chump, by the way. <laughs> so much grace. And, you know, I, the sentence so drilled down into me because whatever it is that I did do was effortless. It was, to me, it was effortless. It wasn't, that was almost like a day off kind of thing. You know, it was, and somehow this person read the grace of God upon it. I think when it's the, it's the anointing, Natural ability goes so far, but there's this kind of, like my wife says, well, God always listens to you, so go ahead and do it, you know. Or God, I know if you do it, it will work, so just go. There's this kind of almost, um, uh, it feels like almost, you know, good luck. It just, because there are lots of things in my life that I've done that it didn't deserve to go that well. I know, my wife knows, and God knows. <laughs> Three of us didn't deserve to. And, I, sometimes I am looking for that extra thing that it just happened to work with that guy. And when I see the, a series of this, it just happened to work, I'm beginning to think it's not just happening to work. There's another one watching over his work to perform it behind him. So it's a difficult thing to just decode like that. But I think that where the anointing is, there's just an extra layer that is not grasped by calculation, but it's picked up by discernment. That I, I just see it sometimes. I feel it. And, um, and I walk through In Jubilee, we have lots of naturally talented people. Uh, I said, yeah. In, you know, for example, musically, I'm looking for the anointing. And I can tell you the difference because I've heard music played pitch perfect. And I heard this one played. I'm like, what note is that? But the Lord comes every time when this guy with the bomb note does it. I go with the anointing every time. It turns out the Lord can live with bomb notes. So it's difficult to decode, but it's a function of discernment and so on. Yeah. Is this our last question? Yeah. I believe it's how it should be done. I do what I do out of conviction and very careful thought and prayer before I even step out and doing it. And I can show 
why I do that. If it's something I can't show why I'm doing it from the scriptures, it's totally up for change. So there are lots of things that it's become that way because it was just the best way to do it, as far as we could see at that time. But there are lots of other things that I know that, you know what, this is how Timothy did it. Uh, this is how Paul did it for Timothy. When he says to him, when it comes to the older women, by the way, do it this way. When it comes to the younger women, hug them this way. And uh, Oh yeah, when it comes to this, do it. When it comes to, he's giving very clear instructions at detailed level to a guy who is a leader. There, he's not letting anything go. He's explaining to him line by line what to do. And then he can step back and let this guy lead it. That's where I'm coming from. So, which is why I didn't want to explain some. In fact, this is the first place I can remember outside Jubilee that I even bother talking about these things. Because I think unless you have a very long amount of time, people can't easily see it. And the tendency to filter it through what you know, uh, and it can just come off funny. And uh, uh, so for me, so you, and, and of course, the other thing, when you're explaining things, so that people can get it, you have to numericalize the whole thing, and it comes off very uh, concretized like that. Actually, it's not like that. Um, uh, and the people, I think, love it. I think it's a very happy, graceful, uh, chirpy, <laughs> chirpy kind of place. When I talk like, actually, on a Sunday morning when I'm in front of the church, I think, I think one time I was wondering if people come just for the laughs, actually. We have a whole bunch of fun and play around, and the mantra in the life of our church is this. Nobody takes themselves too seriously here, but we all take the word of God, the work of God, very seriously. That's the mantra of the life of the church. Thank you for coming. God bless you. <laughs>